We love you guys. Oh, yeah, please. Children, sixth grade and below, you're dismissed to go to uh, somewhere for uh, your class. I'm not really sure where we're going these days. Kathy, are they going to the youth room? Children to the youth room, preschoolers downstairs, I think. Everybody else, if you would look at the screen, we have an announcement video for you to watch. I think that's the welcome video. Same thing, go ahead, sorry, I don't know what I'm doing. Good morning and welcome to Fullness. My name is Rachel. Here at Fullness, we're called to encounter God and His people, experience the power of the Holy Spirit and help you to discover your purpose and expand our influence by making a difference. We are so happy that you have joined us this morning. It's time for Operation Shoebox. Hi, my name is Eli. Each year, Fullness partners with the organization Samaritan's Purse in a church-wide mission project to fill dozens of shoeboxes with basic toiletry items, school supplies, and toys. These shoeboxes are sent around the world and used as an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus. Please join our children's ministry in collecting materials for the shoeboxes this year. Information about what items you need are in the foyer. Thank you. So give to Operation Shoebox. Amen? Come on. Hey, look, you're going to have to help me out a little bit. Uh, somewhere over the past month, I feel like my emotional breaker has flipped off. You know what I mean? Um, I, I'm not looking for sympathy, but you can give it if you'd like. Um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we had the memorial service for my dad. Last week, we prayed for my son and, more importantly, my grandson and daughter-in-law that they're leaving town. The Rosses are leaving. Um, Olivia's going to college uh, in about a couple of weeks. So somewhere along the line, I feel like it's just uh, I'm, something happened, something snapped in me. So just pray for grace as I, I share this morning, because this, I really do believe this is a very important message that I'm going to give you this morning. I, I really, there are times, and I feel like that every week. I know I say that a lot, but um, there is something about this message that is, it really is transformational. Uh, and it is a struggle for every single one of us, every single one of us. And if we can grasp hold of the truth of this this morning, then it, it, it really can be transformational for our lives. It'll change the way you interact with God. It will change the way you interact with one another. It will change who we are in him. And so just hang on a little bit. I'm going to try and delve into this. Um, it, you know, not as many funny stories. I really want you to hear the truth of the Word of God this morning. We are studying the smaller letters in the New Testament, and we've been looking at the letters of Paul. And the last couple of weeks, Scott and Gabe, Gabriel did a great job of, of sharing uh, Titus and Philemon. And uh, this morning, we're going to... Tr shift to the letters of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, 1st John this week, 2nd John, 3rd John next week, and then um, Jude before we end this series. Then this fall, just to cue you in, um, I'm going to be doing a series on the Apostles' Creed, uh, which I think will be a very, um, I, I'm looking forward to it. The study of it that I've been doing is, I, I, I love it, and I know that sounds a little different. The Apostles' Creed, isn't that Catholic? No. 
actually before, but uh, it's going to be great. So we've seen, we sing it, we look at it, and so we're going we're gonna to look at that together, some of the statements um, this fall. Today, though, 1 John. By the way, I preached a series through 1 John about three or four years ago. So if you really want to delve into 1 John, I did a 10-week series or something on 1 John. But I have never preached on 2nd or 3rd John, and you really can't look at 2nd or 3rd John unless you understand 1 John. So I'm going back to it and just want to summarize, which is nearly impossible to summarize 1 John in one Sunday. But I want to give you the core of what I feel like is the message of 1 John because it, it'll help us read it together. Here's how the message says, 1 John 5, 20. It says, and we know that the Son of God came so we could recognize and understand the truth of God. What a gift. And we are living in the truth itself in God's Son, Jesus Christ. This Jesus is both true God and real life. Dear children, be on guard against all clever facsimiles. Just a background very quickly, and I'm not going to delve too much into the background, but there are some certain themes in 1 John that are really important. One of the themes is that there has risen within the early church a, a, a sect, a cult, a way of thinking known as Gnosticism that is declaring that Jesus... It, it, at its core, Gnosticism believed that there is a difference between flesh and spirit. That spirit is good, all good, flesh is all bad. There are so many ramifications to this idea about that we are different, spirit and flesh, that there's not a melding together. One of the things that Gnosticism believed is that, that, that Jesus could not be God in the flesh because... Spirit is all good, flesh is bad. So he couldn't be all human, all man, and all God at the same time. That uh, hypostatic union uh, is the theological phrase that's talked about of fully God, fully man. So they were coming in and saying stuff like, well, Jesus was a son of God, or Jesus was an emanation of God that was much lower than real God. He wasn't fully God. And fully, it was, it's really complicated, but it's, it's a fake. You know, when you send a fax, a facsimile, you're not sending the original. You're sending like a copy. I, I mean, I know you know that, but the, John is saying, listen, don't fall for the fake. Don't fall for the what looks like just because somebody's using the name of Jesus doesn't mean they're talking about the same Jesus that you're talking about. He's true God and real life. True God in real life. Now, that's one of the themes. Don't fall. But the, the theme that I think John is really trying to say to people is, don't fall for the lie because you've got the truth. Right? Stay with me just for a second. And here's how you know you have the truth. Here's, I'm going to tell you how you can know that you're a follower. Now, let me just say straight up front that a lot of people read 1 John through a certain lens and they come away feeling condemned. In other words, they, they look at the book of 1 John and they say, you know, John says, unless I love my brother, how can I love God and say I don't like my brother? If I do that, then the truth is not in me and I'm a liar. So now I gotta love my brother. So I'm gonna love my brother so that 
I can get God's approval. I got to obey the commands of God. John says this all the time. You obey the commands of God. Obey the commands of God. And, and to me, it's, it's, the whole, it's a whole perspective that's wrong. John, John is trying to say to them this. Hey, you're children of God. How do you know you're children? Well, because you love one another. People don't love one another. They're not children of God, but you do. So you're children. He's not saying you have to love one another to prove you're children of God. He's saying the proof that you're children of God is that you do love one another. It, do you understand the perspective difference? I mean, this is really important. And listen, our love is not perfect. Hello? Hello? Love is not perfect. Uh, you know, Dane and Cheryl are very close friends of mine. I can't tell you how many arguments we've got into. I mean, I can't even tell, I can't even go into the number of times we've disagreed passionately about something. Or the many, the times that we've offended one another without refusing to be offended in the long term. You hear me? In other words, relationships are not perfect. It doesn't mean we don't love one another. The proof that there is a God is that we're still loving one another and that he's working within us. Otherwise, we throw the whole thing out and just go away. Listen, at some point this morning, there's a good chance I could offend you. I mean, really, there's something about my humor or something about what I say could offend you. And the question you have is, am I going to hang in there? Or am I, am I chucking the whole thing? The proof that we haven't thrown out the whole thing is we're children of God. So here's the difficulty. In the 1970s, there came this term called the imposter syndrome. Research done in the 70s and 80s estimated that two out of every five successful people consider themselves frauds. And other studies have shown that 70%, listen to this, 70% of all people feel like imposters at one time or another. This idea that if people really knew me, if people really knew me, they would see me as a fraud. They would, I'm terrified that somebody's going to find out the real me. Because if they do, they're not going to like me. There are major people, major named people who struggle and have struggled with this idea. Actors and actresses, Emma Watson, who, um, the Harry Potter fame, Chuck Lorre, um, business leader Sheryl Sandberg, uh, even Albert Einstein. One month before he died, he said this, the exaggerated esteem in which my life work is held makes me very ill at ease. I feel compelled to think of myself as an involuntary swindler. I mean, we struggle with this. Somebody just finds me out. I'm done for. And then we act in a way that either battles it or manipulates it. So, for instance, there's one group of people that say this. You know, if somebody really finds out about me, they're not going to like me. They're going to reject me. They're not going to. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to control the situation so that they will reject me. I'm going I'm to make it 
so that I can control the fact that they are eventually going to find out anyway and they're going to reject me and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy that says something like, see, they drive people away and then they say, oh, I knew they were to reject me. Well, yeah, because you made them get to that point. And even when the people they try to drive away don't reject them, they, they just keep trying. Somewhere in the back of your mind, you know someone like this. Maybe it's the front of your mind. Maybe it's you. Uh, you know, so examine. The other, there's another group that it, it's just as brutal because it drives our lives, and that's, that's not that we're going to uh, make people reject us, but we're going to overachieve to the fact that people have to like us. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the life of the party. I'm going to be... I'm going to be the one who has the most friends. I'm going to do everything I can to make people like me so that I don't get rejected. Maybe if I have a bunch of people liking me and somebody does find out who I am and they then get off the bandwagon, I've still got a whole other group that proves to me that I'm really liked. Either way, what's driving the whole thing is this sense of rejection, this sense of failure, this sense of really condemnation, self-condemnation. And then we project it on God. Oh, if somebody finds out they're not going to like me, then we say to God, well, God knows everything already. He already really knows what's in my heart. Therefore, he must reject me. He must not like me. He must not really accept. I, I know it says God is love, but he loves in the generic, not in the particular. He doesn't love the me. God's premise in this letter to us is this. You are loved. You are loved. So now, walk free from condemnation. Now, this message, listen to me again. This is like so simple, but yet so profound. I, I mean, really. If 99.9% .9 of the people I see in a counseling situation could grasp the truth, Lord, help me, if I could grasp the truth, that I am truly and unconditionally loved and walk free from condemnation, think of the freedom that gives me in my life as a whole. And that's what John is trying to tell his followers. You are loved. You are not condemned. Now, Here's what you're free to do. And he, he phrases it in the forms of commands, but these commands are not, these commands are not like you have to do this, but you're going to do it because this is who you are. This is who you are in the way Jesus made you. So here's the theme of 1 John, with all that as a setup. Uh, here's the theme of 1 John. 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 and following. And then I'm going to give you the implications of what this looks like now that we're free from condemnation and walking in love. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of the son of believe in the name of his son, 
Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's command lives in him, and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by how? By the spirit he gave us. Let's look at the implications of this love, walking in love, walking free from condemnation. And again, I, I, I know I may be overstating it, but I do believe this is so foundational that it can transform your marriage. It can transform the way you talk to your kids. It can transform your workplace. It is, it is to me, at the heart of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We have assurance for an unsure heart. We have assurance for an unsure heart. We have unsure hearts. I mean, really, we, 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 our hearts at times, we, I, I think the whole biblical teaching on the heart is misplaced at times. You know, you can't trust your heart kind of thing. I, I don't think that's, I think what Paul, what John is saying, what the Bible tells us is, God has placed within us a new heart, a new heart. And the unsure heart is the leaning into our old heart rather than the new heart. And to listen to the emotion and to frame the, our emotions in a way that, that God can transform us. And, and look what he, what he says. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and we set our hearts at rest in his presence. How much money would you give for a restful heart? What would you do to receive peace in your heart? He says this. He goes on and says, if our hearts condemn us, what do we know? God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. This to me is, again, this is key. God does know you. He does know you, and, and he is saying, I am greater than that condemning heart, that old heart, and I want you to receive the newness of a heart transformed, a heart that walks in freedom. This is an old story I've told before. I, for some reason, it always cracks me up. Uh, this prosecuting attorney was uh, in a trial, and he called it a first witness, and it's, a, it's an elderly, grandmotherly woman that he's called to the stand, and he approaches her, and he says, Mrs. Jones, do you know me? And she responded, yes, I know you, Mr. Williams. I've known you since you were a child, and I've got to say, you're a huge disappointment to me. <laughs> yeah, I've known you since you were young, and you lie, you cheat on your wife, you manipulate people, you talk about them behind their backs, you think you're a rising bid shot prosecutor, but you're nothing more than just a paper pusher. Sure, I know you. And the prosecutor panics at this, and he goes, what about the defense attorney? Do you know him? And she goes, oh, yeah, I know him too. I've known his parents since before he was born. I used to babysit him, and i tell you the truth, he's, a, he's just as big a disappointment. He's lazy. He's bigoted. He's got a drinking problem. He can't build normal relationships with people. He's got the shoddiest law practice in the whole state. Yeah, I know him. At this, the judge bangs his gavel. He calls the two attorneys to his, who, to his desk, and he says, if anyone asks her if she knows me, <laughs> I'm going to hold them in contempt. 
You know, our hearts many times are like this lady who's a witness. You know, all of those things may be true. And our heart is standing there just condemning us emotionally. And really, it's the devil, the enemy, the accuser, who is working in conjunction with what he knows is in our heart to just rip us apart. And, and John is trying to tell his listeners, people, God is greater than your hearts. God is bigger than that. And as long as you keep leaning into your emotions or your heart, you're going to keep feeling it. Instead, receive this God who is really God and true life. Walk in the freedom that he provides. God is superior to our hearts and even to our conscience. However you want to divide those things. See, emotions are good. I am not telling you, turn off your emotions. I'm not telling you, turn off your feelings. God created us to have feelings. And, and we are to be a emotional, feeling people. You know, too often, for instance, in worship, the church is trying to say, oh, all emotion is bad. Therefore, we've got to shut down all emotion in worship, and it's got to be an intellectual, spiritual experience. By the way, to me, that's just modern Gnosticism if we can get into it, but because God has made you entirely spirit, soul, body, mind, will, and emotions, and he completely envelops you in his presence. And he's not saying this part is bad and this part is good because we've, we, we've, we've received this truth about the flesh being bad, and we don't understand the difference between flesh and flesh. I mean, there's this idea that the old man, the old flesh, is bad. But God is saying, look, I want to redeem you totally, completely. I want to make you new. So sometimes we need our, we, we want to embrace our feelings in the power of the Spirit and, and receiving the truth of who God is. Okay, so for instance, many times our, our emotions, which are responses to what is happening, become the driving force in our lives. So we feel this, and therefore we say this is true. You understand? That's not accurate. He's trying to say God is greater than this. So, for instance, a feeling will say something like this. I am sinful. I am lost. I am condemned. We need to receive the truth that we are justified by faith. Justified means I, I, I'm in right standing before God. I may feel sinful, lost, and condemned, but I'm actually Forgiven, found, and free. Because God declares it over me. And, and, and the truth is this. Who are you going to listen to? You're going to listen to this emotion that tells you this is who Are you going to stand in the truth of what God says about you? People, this is, again, this is critical. This is critical because too many Christians that I've talked to confess this is who I am. I am lost. I'm condemned. I'm a sinner. I'm sinful. I'm a horrible person. I'm, and, and to me, I'm, I want to say, stop cursing yourself. Instead, stand on who God says you are. Now, you may be saying, well, I'm not really acting like... You're never going to act perfectly. But stand on who... You're justified not by your actions, but by 
his. Right? So stand in faith in your freedom. Feeling says, I, I can't face my responsibilities. Oh, I just can't do it. I, I just got... Fact says, look, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I mean, I could go on all day about this. This could be a whole fact versus feeling thing. I, 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 I'm lonely and afraid. That's a feeling and it's legitimate. But stand on the fact that says, I will never leave you or forsake you. That God's promise is, is his presence in us. You see where I'm going here? I, again, I, I, I could have made up 30, 40 statements like this that we all walk in. I'm broken and ashamed. No, you are, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are whole and healed. Well, I'm not acting whole and healed. I still feel sick. Well, yes, we're still battling in between, but where do you want to stand? On your condemning heart or in the freedom that comes by God's redemptive process in your life? Second point, we, we receive answered prayers so that we can love freely. We receive answered prayers so that we can love freely. Again, this is a whole theological circle that's really deep, and I'm just kind of skimming across the top of the, the surface here. But look what he says in verse 21 and 22. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, right? Going back, your heart doesn't condemn you. Take who God says. And if your heart doesn't condemn you and you're standing on God, now you have confidence before God. And receive from him anything we ask. Usually we draw the line right there, by the way. Hey, I don't have a condemning heart. I can receive anything I ask. But he goes on and says, because we keep his commands. What is his commands? To love him, love each other, and do what pleases him. See, for many people, prayer is like this um, uh, request form sent to God. Oh, God, I need. Fill in the blank. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like going up to the bank. You got those tubes that come out, you know, at the bank. You put your request in. God reads it. Comes back. Thumbs up. You're good. And then there are some of us who've been around a little while longer, so we know that's not really accurate, so we just frame it better. You know what I mean? So, like, rather than saying, I read a story about a young woman who said something like this, uh, Lord, I, I'm not asking for you, but uh, for me, but I'm, I'm asking for my mother that you would you'd please send her a son-in-law. You know, something like that. We don't want to frame it from our side. And the Lord, give me a husband. Lord, my mom really needs a, she's old. She really wants a son. She really would love to have grandkids. Uh, you know, or my, Lord, I, I'm not asking for me, but my wife really needs a new car. You know, whatever. I, I don't know. We frame it in a spiritual way that seems like we're spiritually helping someone out. We have this teaching that we have confidence in approaching God and ask for what we need. Let me briefly tell you what I, I think John is not saying and then what I think he is saying. I, I don't believe he's saying that if you simply 
frame this request like, God, I'm your child. I don't have a condemning heart. I can ask whatever I want that he is going to give it to you. It's not, it's not a free request form. By the way, that's just a different form of moralism. So he, here's what he's not saying, in other words. If, if I obey God's commands, then I can ask God for whatever I want, and he's going to give it to me. So I obey his commands so that I can then get what I want. You understand? That many people, we frame it like that uh, in, in, in this kind of... But this entire letter of 1 John is about fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. And he's saying, look, if your heart no longer condemns you and you're, in, you're following the commands of loving God and loving people, that's your priority, your relationship with God. And you're, you're confident that you can come to God. He's going to give you what you ask because he can trust you with it. He knows your highest priority is not self-centeredness, but love for him and love for one another. Therefore, come and ask. And I'm going to give it to you because you're going to use it for his glory and the building up of others. 1 John 5, a passage we love. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. We have confidence to come in God's presence because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Our hearts are no longer condemning us. We get to walk in freedom into his presence. We're loving him, loving people. We can put our request out there because it's not a manipulative, selfish, moralistic. It's about others. It's about loving God and loving others. How do we... How do we accomplish this? I mean, that to me is the major question. Okay, my heart no longer condemns. How do I get my heart to not condemn me? How do I get to a place where I can answer, get answered prayers so that I can love others even more freely? I mean, think about that. Think about that. Your prayers are getting answered. Why? So that you can feel good? No, so I can love you better. I can love you more freely. It all happens because of this. We have the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. We have his presence in our lives. Now, again, let me look at the verse. I'm starting to comment before I even look at the verse, but he, the verse just says the same thing, and this is his command, to believe in the name, of the, son, the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. How do we know? And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. All of this goes back to his empowering presence in our lives. How do we get a free heart? The spirit of God in us. How do we love each other better? The spirit of God who lives within us. How do we, how do we love God even better? The spirit of God that lives within us. How do we obey his commands? How do we do this? the Spirit of God that indwells us. God has sent His Spirit. What a great gift to all of us who believe. 
On the day of Pentecost, when Peter preaches, people ask, they look around and he tells them about Jesus. And then they say, well, what do we do? What do we, how, how, do we, how do we go about this? And he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I mean, the day of Pentecost, Spirit God comes. They're like, this is nuts. What do we do? How do we get, in, how do we get this? Peter tells them. I mean, he tells them in a rough sermon leading up to this point about what they've done to Jesus. But then he tells them what to do, how to receive Jesus, and they'll receive the Holy Spirit. And then he says, this promise is for you and your children. We should underline this line. And for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Here's the promise. Repent, receive, and receive. We are the far off. We are the all whom will believe. That promise was not just for them. That promise is for us. Again, Fullness Christian Fellowship is a church that is founded on this principle. We want to fully embrace the Word of God, the truth of God, and the Spirit of God. 100% of both, because we know that without both, 100% of each, it's not a 50-50 deal. Ah, let's take 50% of the Bible, 50% of the Spirit. That makes 100 no, 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 it's 100% of both. And without both of these mighty streams flowing into our lives, we will never be who God has ordained and called us to be. And listen, by the way, I, I, I understand. I, again, I come from a Baptist background who I, I, I didn't hear much about the Spirit of God until I was in my early 20s. You know, it was all about Jesus. You're going to think I'm horrible, please. This is one of those offensive statements. Forgive me, we'll just move on. But in my upbringing, the Bible, the, the, in church, it was the Trinity was the Father, Son, and the Holy Scripture. I mean, that's kind of the, the way things went. Father, Son, Holy Scripture. And then do the best you can. Get your envelope. Fill out those 10 things. Check them off. You know, did you read your Bible every day? Did you do this? Did you share? Did you invite somebody? It's just an envelope of lies is what it is because nobody really did all those things every week, but we lie. Yeah, I'm checking off all these things on my envelope as I turn it in. But I never, I never really heard about the Holy Spirit. Then when I finally did hear about the Holy Spirit, he was so weird. And, and, and if I got engaged with the Holy Spirit, he's going to make me weird. And I didn't want to be weird. You know, it's one of the failures of my life. I want to be kind of normal. Now, I know it's a lie that I'm normal. I understand that I am not normal in any form or fashion, but I like to pretend that I'm a relatively normal person. And I knew that if I got in, the Holy Spirit touched my life, those people are just weird. They're going to make me do things. Listen, who knows when we, the Holy Spirit touches our lives what's going to happen? as far as the fringe stuff. But I can tell you this, if the Holy Spirit doesn't touch your life, here's what's going to happen. You're going to walk in bondage. You're going to come to the end of your natural rope. You're going to get frustrated trying to live out this legalistic Christianity because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 
There's freedom not to sin. There's freedom to walk in life. There is freedom to do all of these things that John is telling us. Because see, in my legalistic Christianity, I would read 1 John and I would come away feeling condemned. Oh, man, I don't love so-and-so. And he's saying, if I don't love so-and-so, he's my brother or sister, that I'm a liar and the truth is, you understand? I would come away feeling condemned. Instead, he's saying, listen, here's how you know you're a child of God. You're a child of God because the Spirit of God is in you. There's no way the Spirit of God could be within you if you're not a child of God. And then when the Spirit of God is in you, he's going to enable you to walk in freedom from a condemned heart. He's going wa- to empower you to love people better. He's going to empower you to walk in a closer fellowship with God. He's going to give you confidence to come before God's presence, and you can ask for stuff that will help you love people even better. I mean, look at the Scripture passages that, that talk about what happens when the Holy Spirit comes in our lives. He's the guarantee of our salvation. By the way, I don't have time to preach on all this, but they're all good. If you don't really lean into the person of the Holy Spirit, you're forever going to be asking, am I really in? Am I really saved? He's our guarantor. He's the one who's going to be speaking the truth. Yes, you are a child of God. Otherwise, the enemy is going to keep coming and accusing you. Oh, you're not really in. You need to do more. You need to act in this certain way. You need to, you know... You know, a good Christian doesn't do that. A good Christian doesn't cut somebody off on the road. A good Christian doesn't drink. A good Christian doesn't, you know, think this. A good Christian doesn't say this. Listen, we've all got our areas. And that's where that imposter syndrome comes in. But the Spirit of God, he's speaking truth to us. Hey, you're saved. You're in. He indwells every believer when we come to faith in Jesus. We're commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit on a continual basis. He comes in us, but we need to just continue. Lord, Spirit of God, just keep filling me up. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. We're to wake up and wield the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, in our spiritual warfare against Satan. He gives to every believer for the building up of the body of Christ gifts. Oh, which we're in turn to use. Why are gifts given? Building up of the body of Christ. Not so you feel so much better. Anyway, and then let's loop all the way back around as I close this out. Romans 8, 1 and 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because through Christ Jesus, the law of whom? The Spirit who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. Praise God. You know, here's here's why I said all of this this morning, that this is so important. I mean, think about this. How much would your life and my life, my marriage, my relationship with my children, my relationship with my friends change if... I listen to the spirit of truth that indwells me rather than the voice of a condemning heart. How much more would our lives be enhanced if our prayers were answered with the goal of loving one another better? How much 
would the body of Christ be enhanced if we walked in the power of the Spirit? And, and you noticed, I didn't really get into anything weird with the Spirit. I mean, these are foundational truths. And by weird, I, they really shouldn't even be weird. You know, gifts, healings, manifestations of the Spirit, those really aren't weird. They're only weird when they become the only focus of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Are you with me? If that becomes everything we look at. But there's all this other stuff that without it, I can't, I can't, I can't. I can't do this. But through him, I can do all things. First John is so rich. And I, I know some of you have read it this week. I would encourage you to read it again through the eyes of freedom and not the eyes of legalism. Read it again to receive. Because 2 John's pretty short. You'll be able to handle that. But you'll see in 2 John the outworking of what happens if 1 John occurs. So as you read 2 John for next week, read 1 John again and just get a hold of this truth of who you are in Jesus. And, and here, here's part of the issue. Some of you may need prayer right now. Some of you may need someone to say, you know what? I, I, I want this. I want the power of the Spirit. I need freedom from this condemning heart. I, 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 I desire life. The enemy is just killing me. And I want to walk in freedom starting today. We're going to give you an opportunity right now to receive prayer. Right now to come and say, I believe what you said. Help my unbelief. I, I want to walk in this. I want this life. I want this godliness, but I need somebody to stand with me. And that's what these ministry teams are here to do. They're here to stand with you when you're not strong enough to stand on yourself. So come. I'm going to ask our ministry teams. Our worship team is going to come. Everybody else just stand up. I'm going to pray for us. If you're sensing that you need prayer this morning, and there may be other things you need prayer for, like healing or direction or something else, but especially for this, to walk in freedom in your heart and in your life, then come, come and receive prayer from one of these ministry teams. And as I pray, ministry teams, I think there are going to be a lot of people who want prayer, so I'm going to ask you all, just come on down and get ready to, to, to pray for people. Lord, we thank you this morning. We, we, we thank you for this truth of John's word that we are a people who walk in life, that we can receive prayers that are answered because our hearts aren't condemning us so that we can love more freely by the power of the Spirit who indwells us. So right now, I pray that Holy Spirit, you be move mightily among us. There's some people here today that this can be just life-changing for, a day of freedom, a, a, a day when you, oh God, work among us. So Holy Spirit, move right now. Thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name. Craig, lead us. And as you, if you would like prayer, just come and receive prayer right now. Again, for 